Welcome to E-Commerce Matters. E-Commerce Matters is the UK's leading e-commerce pricing podcast brought to you by Black Curve. Each episode explores how retailers can better understand competitor pricing and use pricing insights to improve online visibility and checkout conversion. This is episode 47 entitled Factors That Can Affect PED, PED or Price Elasticity of Demand. I'm Philip Huthwaite, founder and CEO at Black Curve. I'm joined as ever by Dr. Rob Horton, Chief Product Officer at Black Curve. Let's get pricing. Welcome, Rob. Are you ready to to talk about price elasticity of demand? I know it's a bit of a trigger word for you, but are you are you are you going to put your uh, your previous conceptions aside to have a, I, have a uh, frank and meaningful I promise conversation? To be on my best behaviour. Um. <laughs> Good. Well, I can be the referee and tell you off when. Uh, yeah. I try and not get too ragey when you're being a bit naughty <laughs> about it. So, because uh, it can, it can, can without to, you know, without to give any spoilers away, it can. Uh, it's got a time and a place, absolutely. So, um, but it's just got to be used with caution. So, well, we won't, we won't go too much into that now. We'll, we'll save that for later. Save it, save it. Don't, uh, don't give the game away. With that, let's get stuck into the detail. <laughs> so today we're discussing price elasticity of demand. Uh, it might be referred to as elasticity in your organisation. It might be referred to demand. You you might not even know use PED or know about it. But we're going to, I guess, distill some of the myths about it. We're going to go into what actually it is. And uh, we're going to cover some of the data points uh, that, that influence price elasticity. And, uh, and we're going to say, we're going to talk about what impact impact using price elasticity of demand can have on your business and and I guess why you know through that why you might want to consider using price elasticity inside your organization if you're not doing that already so with that let's start at the very beginning what is price elasticity of demand you have 1500 words rob you have one hour <laughs> off you yeah, go yeah <laughs> bloody hell it feels a bit like that doesn't it it's um so, so just yeah, before we before we start, there is a from the research I was doing for this and what, what we've seen over the years, there is a huge gap uh between theory and practice. So I'll I'll drill into that a bit later. But if you if you read the theory articles, um what they'll tell you is that price elasticity of demand is effectively how sensitive your the volume of goods you sell is to a change in price. So what it actually measures is the ratio of the change in percentage change of volume to the percentage change of price. So the way to think about that is um, my price elasticity demands dictates for a 1% change in price what that impact will be on my volume, right? Um, so when people talk about it, they talk about elastic and inelastic products um most products are elastic and that's because of the law of supply and demand uh you increase price volume drops if uh if it drops basically if the ped number is greater than one that's the line in the sand the economists have drawn we say that's uh, elastic so if you think in terms of a ratio 
that means that the volume of goods you're selling is dropping more percentage-wise than the price change. Conversely, if uh, if the volume of goods isn't dropping that much, but your price changed, those are inelastic. And people are always after inelastic products, right? So that's those are ones where you can increase the price, but actually you're you you can maintain your volume. So say I um, say I'm selling ten products at a fiver. And then I increase my price to six pounds, and I'm selling nine products. Um, that's 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 great, right? Because I'm I'm making effectively more money to that to that price change. Um, so really, that's all PED is. It is measuring the relationship between changes in price and the volume sold. We're gonna um, and, we'll, and that's it. We'll st- we'll stick with the theory at the moment because uh, we'll, we'll move on to in in practice in a moment, and hopefully we haven't lost everybody because you know this this, this feels like a bit of a maths lesson uh, podcast, doesn't it, Rob? Today, <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's hard. I feel like we need like a, a little video with a the chalkboard, but um, <laughs> re- really, like really simplistically, all it's all PD is telling you is how the volume of goods you sell will change. If you change your price, that that's that's like the root the root of it. And and some of the things you touched upon there, if you're if you you consumers or rather businesses are looking for the holy grail of where their products are inelastic, so where they can get away with you know in in a simple terms, can I just can I increase the price of this product exponentially and still to a certain extent maintain the same amount of volume now you know there's various ethical reasons why why you wouldn't want to do that but just just for the purpose of um of of hammering home the point you know things that we've seen very recently uh, you know a lot of us are driving around right and the price of diesel and petrol has gone up because of um because of what's happening in the wider wider political landscape and we all still go out and buy our petrol and diesel because because we need it right mm-hmm. you know we you know some of us might not be able to travel as much as others but but by and large the data showing that we're still going out and buying that that petrol and diesel and what um you know without to go too much into the the political side of things you know what we've actually seen more recently is that um, actually the cost of that petrol and diesel has actually come down to the suppliers but the suppliers out there I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to have lawsuit here on my on my hands have actually kept the price higher than than and not passed on some uh, of those don't worry, Philip, you don't have to specify people you can just name all of them yes that's true <laughs> that's true that is very that is very true um, so those types of products are inelastic because you know we need them regardless of what the yeah the that, that's the key the key word right like and we'll get onto this or more in the because there's a really interesting way you can use pd that will get around that but it's products you need um tend to be the inelastic ones and so that's things like often food fuel medical supplies if, if you start googling what are inelastic goods it comes up quite dystopian because it's the things are like insulin is like a really good example because people don't get insulin they die so if you don't have price regulation in place you can basically charge people as as much as you want because they have to have that conversely an elastic good tends to be things that are nice to have right so why should i choose i'm looking at my desk but why should i choose this pair of sunglasses over any other well they they look nice they're reasonably priced double the price do i want them no you're fine right um, and that's a kind of classic example of an elastic versus an inelastic good. And normally, products that 
you know, we, we, we're still operating in the realms of theory and we're operating in maybe a bit of a, bit of a vacuum here with what we're describing. But if, if, if a product is, to be, is described as being perfectly elastic, you know, whereby very small changes in price result in huge changes in volume, generally speaking, those products are completely commodity based. You know, we don't yeah. necessarily yeah. care where we buy them from. Um, you know, we just I, I, I don't know. We just need that. I'm trying to look around my desk of what what I've got yeah. that I that that, that that I need. But um, but you know, we 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 need. I don't know. I've got I've got a Wi-Fi router, right? I need a Wi-Fi router. Uh, you know, I, I've got to have Wi-Fi for my for my for I'll, my I'll, job. I'll, I'll save you because I've got a. a quite you, a, you got a better example than yeah, your I've desk. Yeah, example. You? So like, I think uh, Apple Apple. But my desk is littered with Apple products. But like Apple have just released their VR headset, AR headset. For three and a half thousand dollars, or they're saying around that, everyone will buy that. The issue is actually supply and getting hold of one because their brand power is so big. People love Apple. I love Apple products. They work really well. I'm a product guy. They feel nice. They work nicely. I'm bought into the UK system. So that really is a very price inelastic or um, price insensitive, which are slightly different, but. I will use interchangeably and come fight me. Um, but yeah, those are, those are quite good, like commodity, but price inelastic because the brand value is so high and then Apple can just basically set the, set the cost for it. Conversely, actually, I would say you don't have that much brand loyalty to your router. Um, so whether it's a Netgear or TP-Link or insert brand here, uh, it's been a while since I bought one. You're you're going to be looking at a base level of functionality, but your brand loyalty is going to be much much lower. So that's going to be a more elastic good. Yeah, so it's 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 it's, it's not quite perfectly elastic, but it's um it, it's on that on that range, yeah. right? I you know ultimately I'm after something that works, but you know I'm, I might be doing disservice to the uh to the, to the engineers out there that, that work heavily in communications but but uh, me as the consumer you know i just i, I just want the, the best product at, at a good a good price i don't really care what what commodity it is therefore i am going to be impl- mm-hmm. influenced by by changes in price so um i mean by and large you know we're really operating in most e-commerce companies are operating in trying to find that that relative elastic product so where where what signals can i use what data points can i use to identify where i can make those smaller changes in price those really micro changes in price and that and that that really sees an exponential change in in the quantity sold um because you know you're unlikely to see those large swings not a lot of our customers are selling gasoline or or things like or things like that um and uh so so i think it's 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 trying to find those signals where those small small um changes in price can influence uh, larger volumes of change in change in demand so so we've we've covered the theory um i i think was there anything more you wanted to add on the theory or or, or before we confuse anybody else listening and yeah i'm just gonna shout out uh, an article actually because most of the stuff i read out there was absolute garbage um but there is a very good harvard business review article by amy gallo which um is is the only probably the only decent thing i read aside from asking what chat gpt what price elasticity of demand was 
So um, if you are interested and want a bit more on the theory, go and check that article out. And I basically ignore everything else. Well, the nice thing about that one, it's it's relatively short. And then also it, it does well at bringing bringing the theory into the real world and, and applying it to the real world, not just... Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Like, it, it's just kind of spot on the money for actual business people rather than just being... The, the rest of them read, like... I. Well, I think actually, interestingly, that the rest of them are just recycling the same base article or ref- self-referencing each other. So someone's taken it from Wikipedia. Someone else has copied the... I won't name names. Someone else has copied the the other one, and it, and it's gone in this kind of loop because everyone feels they need a price elasticity uh, blog, basically. So don't don't waste your time. Go and read the Harvard Business Review one. It's good. And uh, and then with with that, let's move on to the next section of today's podcast. So, why do companies use PED? And we've We've, we have touched upon this slightly already. Um, mm-hmm. Where would you like to start, Rob? I mean, we'll, I think we'll do, we're going to do like high level now and then go into in practice later, I, I, I guess, right? Yes. So, yeah. So the real, like the inner vacuum, complete inner vacuum, nothing else, reason for using price elasticity of demand is it allows you to calculate the optimal price for your product. So effectively, you are measuring the change in volume versus the change in price. And you can say, okay, I maximize profitability, say if that's your measure or what you're after for this product at this price point. And that's what it lets you do. So that's like, in in theory, the holy grail of pricing, right? So I can run these equations and... I now know exactly what every product should be priced at and I'll, maybe I can automate it, wash my hands of it, carry on my day. Um, we'll go into later while there's, um, while that's problematic and difficult in practice, but that, that really, that's, that's core one. It is ma- a math equation that tells you exactly where to price your product based on data. Now there's some really interesting uh kind of ways of using it once you're calculating price elasticity of demand because obviously the the immediate follow-on is well okay that's great i fixed it but how do i make it better how do i turn my goods from uh how do i make my goods more profitable how do i make them more inelastic so i can charge more for them without affecting the volume um which goods can i do that on which goods can't i do that on so the, the first thing you can do just by looking at that sensitivity, well, I'll stop saying that word because I'm getting in trouble with the purists, but by looking at those coefficients, by looking at the price elasticity of demand, is say this bucket of products is um, price insensitive and this bucket of products is like super elastic. And those ones are likely to be heavily competitor driven, like you were saying, super commodity based. So those are the ones I need to do my competitor analysis on. Those are the ones I need to find out what's going in the marketplace. And the other ones, I've got a bit more free reign to just keep pushing the price up until I kind of hit a wall where people stop buying it and it drops off. Um, it also then, the, the follow-on from that is that your marketing team, which I think is really cool, can then measure the effectiveness of their strategies. Because say they're targeting a specific product line, trying to improve your brand presence around it, 
making it seem more like a, a must-have rather than a nice-to-have. So this is something that we talk about in our world. How do we make black cover must-have for people, not a nice-to-have, nice to have, right? You can measure that by measuring the price elasticity. It gives you a direct measure of, okay, well, um, when we ran this experiment uh, a year ago, we were super elastic, and now now we're actually less elastic. So the marketing team's been doing a really good job because people are they're getting a value prop. The, the product's performing better for them. We can charge a bit more and not, not disrupt our market in quite the same way. So those are the kind of like, I guess the, the, the core ones, um, for me, the, there are some like, and I'm sorry, stop me in my head. There are some ancillary ones, which I think are interesting where you can actually use your knowledge of price elasticity as like a lever. So say you know, you're going to run out of stock. Um, or you want to target sell through to a certain replenishment date with your price elasticity calculation, you can say, well, I know that if I increase the price, I'm going to slow the rate of sale down by X amount so I can target that sell through date. Um, and therefore I'll, I can sell through by that replenishment date. And then I'm going to get to that point. Cool. I've, I've basically bottomed out. I haven't run out. I've maximized my profitability through that period. And then I can start that process again. So it's super, like, in theory, to summarize, again, what's a lot of theory, it's super powerful, like, across your whole business. It tells you where to price your products. It tells you how much brand power you have, how you're doing versus your competitors, whether what you're doing is having an impact, um, and how you can, the rate at which you can sell out. So just a few kind of examples there, but, like, there's a lot in all that, I guess. I mean, I think most people do come at it with the with the the simple requirement of I say simple. I want to I want to work out is there a way that I can improve revenue? Is there a way that I can improve mm-hmm. profitability? And therefore, which products can I, you know, in its simple terms, can I increase the price of and still sell the same amount of, of volume? Because that's that that's fantastic. So so that that's that's optimizing pricing to give it a, a catch-all catch-all term mm-hmm. um, but then I think it's it's other departments inside the organization that that can get other benefits from calculating price elasticity that you've touched upon so the purchasing team can use it to work out at different price points as you said how much product they need to buy at different different times of the year for for example um, and you you touched upon how the marketing team can can use it as well um, to, to to support their their decision making um, and so so I think it's it's got very far reaching benefits across across the organization so we've covered what is price elasticity of demand we've covered why do companies use PED, what data do you need to calculate it? So at, it, at its root, it's it's very simple because you just need um, how much you're selling, so sales volume, and the price you sold it at over a range. And then if you've got that, you can just write a simple model down in quite simple um, that'll, that'll calculate it for you. In practice, it's really challenging. 
um, for, for two major reasons. Um, the first is that historically people don't tend to move their price a much much um so you actually find or we find when we're we've worked through these with people in the past that they've moved their price by about three pounds over a a year and a half so they've got lots of data points of selling but really at the same price point um and to do price elasticity properly you need to step through effectively a range from where you think the lowest would be to the highest and take a measurement at each of those points and obviously that experiment's going to cost you money because there's going to be points where you're selling too cheaply and then and losing margin that you don't have to. And then there's going to be points where you're selling too expensively and losing the volume. But that's the only way you can kind of step through and do it. The challenge coupled to that is that for um, it to be a robust calculation, you actually have to have a number of observations at each of those price points so you can't just say really okay i'm going to spend a day at one pound a day at two pounds a day at three pounds a day at four pounds etc and then draw a line through it you need to spend multiple occasions at one pound multiple occasions at two pounds multiple occasions at three pounds um and this is because unfortunately to do the way the statistics works the uh the error the spread around that observation um, scales as the square root of the number of observations. So what that means in practice is that to drop your error from one observation down to 10% of the original error, so how how likely, how wide of the mark you are effectively, that range, you have to take hundreds of observations, and that means bucketing, in effect, probably hundreds of days at each price point. So that's really, really hard to do unless you're kind of at the, the Amazon level where you're selling at such volumes that, that you can do that and you can A-B test and target different groups or different people differently and then split that data up and build that data set out. So for most merchants we work for in e-commerce, they're probably not selling enough to really make practical price elastic elasticity calculations or robust ones. So it's... From a data perspective, it's transactional data of product A sold on X date at X price and X volume was purchased. And it's building up that repository of sales. And and if I I hear you correctly, it's to, to get to make sure the theory can be applied to practice as much as possible. Um, and you you need to, A, have hundreds, well, maybe not hundreds. I think, I think we, when we've calculated it, um, certainly we, we, did, we did a exit piece of work pre-COVID on this specifically, that you needed to change the price 80 times uh, to get mm-hmm. a statistical enough <laughs> certainty calculation of, Right, that is the true price elasticity of that product. But not only do you need to have changed the price for, for a long period of for, for an, enough times, that product needs to have been purchased a statistically relevant number of times at each price point. I mean, okay, fine, certain price points might be might be zero and that that in itself will will, will support the calculation, but but you've got to you've got to have enough data points to 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 be able to have the confidence to say yeah that that works so 
we have we have some even big retailers coming to us and saying right can you calculate the price elasticity of this product i've been selling hundreds of thousands of units of this over the last x number of years and then you ask well how many times have you changed the price <laughs> of that product oh well we've changed it you know twice a year you you can't calculate price elasticity on that okay because it's just not okay sure you've got lots of transactional data <laughs> You can you, have a go, right? You, yeah, sure. You can, you can, you can have a go, right? A- absolutely, and it will, it will generate something, but it won't be, it will, it will be pretty garbage, right? So, so that's that's why, if you look at, if you, you know, if you look outside of e-commerce, why the sectors like um, airlines or why the sectors, you know, like like petrol that are changing pricing all the time and 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 holding them at different prices, you can use price elasticity a lot more effectively in those in those particular yeah. sectors um in fact, in fact airlines much better than 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 gasoline as because we've as we've said said earlier gasoline is a is a is a must have must have product in lots of people's in lots of people's households um but inside therefore inside e-commerce you if you're to use price elasticity and we'll go on to this in, in a bit more detail if you're going to use it inside your organization you've got to have an honest look at what what's my inventory how frequently have i sold that product how frequently have i changed the price of that product and the sectors that we see that work really well in to use use price elasticity are things like the appliance sector um are you know where they're changing price all the time you know, often four or five times a day, and they have lots of lots of different price points. They're selling high volumes of these goods. Um, whereas, you know, if you're if you're selling, I don't know, a, a, a fishing rod that you've changed you've changed once, and there's only sort of two other people that are selling it, and you you know you, you're not going to be you're not going to calculate price elasticity on that product. Yeah, the the to to follow on that, the way I'd think about it is it's to do with your business structure and product mix so if you're like an airline company basically selling few a lot of a few things so you've got the same the same route effectively uh we'll assume all days are the same for now but obviously that's not true you get seasonal demand and the rest of it but you're selling a lot of like that repeated thing so the flight to i don't know ireland or wherever whereas in e-commerce people tend to sell fewer of more things um, so I'll have a much bigger inventory. We see inventories of usually of thousands of products, but um, we'll be selling in the tens of each of those products each day rather than the kind of airline industry, which is almost like the inverse of that. Tens of products, but thousands of transactions a day. And it's that uh, asymmetry in the data or that 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 kind of difference that makes price elasticity calculations particularly hard in e-commerce compared to kind of i don't know ticket sales or airlines or or whatever i mean we hope we haven't scared the listeners off so far because i think i feel i feel like on the last sort of 10 or minutes 10 so minutes we've gone on a poo-poo journey of, of price elasticity so we will come back to how it can be useful in in practice but we're just trying to make sure that you're going into this with your with your eyes wide open um, I guess, um, and and without making this too much of a maths lesson, um, if you aren't selling 
and large enough volume of certain products. I think you touched upon this, you, you teased upon this a bit a bit earlier, Rob, that you can do clever things with bucketing your data. So grouping <laughs> similar like like for like products. So if you're selling a particular you might you might actually be able you might only sell, I don't know, one or two units of each power drill that you have, right? But you might you might have a hundred DeWalt power drills okay so you so so therefore the sum of their parts you might be better off calculating the price elasticity of dewalt products as a a brand and using all the all the data points all the sales for that that particular that particular product so whilst that you know you you you, the purist out there you could argue that that's not that's not 100 percent true price elasticity on that individual product that in itself is it you know by collecting them together you get that smarter signal that smarter insight of okay i get the limitations of my data but i can still get use out of the sum of some of all, all the parts um and i think i just to jump on what you're saying we're not saying don't do it what we're saying is don't only do it if if that makes sense so it's still a very powerful measure that you can use to understand how your products, it tells you how your products are behaving in the market in theory, but you need to, and I think we'll get into this in a minute, but you need to understand everything else that's going on the marketplace um, as a whole. So it's just one lens that you can look at your product set alongside a competitor analysis or, or, or all kinds of other things, stock levels or seasonality. So it's, it's, it's worth doing, but there's, that's why I was kind of complaining about the blog post earlier. There's often in the heavily theoretical side of it, the thought that it's the be all and end all and you don't need to do anything else. But the reality is that it's just one piece of a quite a complex puzzle. So with that, you've teed us up quite nicely, Rob. Um, what, what are the factors that, that can affect price elasticity of demand? And you've, you've mentioned one already, competitors. Uh, did, you want to, did you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, no, I'll just I'll jump I'll jump in and this will be the last little theory um bit. But what the the PD equation does is basically just assume that the only thing going on in the market is the PD equation. Um so really the the answer to kind of what affects price the price elasticity of demand is kind of everything that makes up your market. So that's just to rattle some off that we can then drill into it's availability of stocks of scarcity fairly obvious how easy is it to find the product if it's hard to find it's going to be more inelastic if the need's there um is the good a luxury necessity we touched on that do i have to have it um how affordable is it is it going to be something i'm going to drop if the price goes up um because i am i'm moving to a substitute product uh that's closely tied to kind of actually where am i which region i am i in is the price point correct for the the region i am how much what's the income of the people in that region um the other interesting thing is the rate at which the price change happens so if i do a very sudden very large price change that's going to have a different effect than if i do a number of smaller ones it's the uh horrific old analogy of the frog in the boiling water right um if Petrol price is a good example. You creep them up over time. People notice less. You do a sudden hike because of a geopolitical event and everyone's up in arms. But you kind of end up at the same price point with less complaining. And then uh, the key one, another key one we touched on is brand loyalty. And then finally, kind of 
what's the competition like? And I think really this is the one that's most relevant to to kind of our listener base and the the people we we work with because realistically in in e-commerce especially if you're selling branded or substitution or like goods with the readily available substitutes which is most of the inventories of people we work with to be brutally honest the 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 region in which you have to play in from a price elasticity perspective is um it's very, very small because your competitor data effectively, your, comp- your market, your competitors effectively add a floor and a ceiling in that if someone's willing to sell it for, for less than you, your sales are going to drop off a, a cliff if you trip over that price point or trip too far beyond that price point. And conversely, if everyone else is selling it for higher than you, unless your volume dramatically increases, which is and your stock availability is infinite, which is unlikely, you're going to be sacrificing margins. So you might as well just sell it at the same price as everyone. So you end up with a very, very small competitive window in which to make those kind of price changes because most of the goods can be substituted. So if they become too expensive, people will buy a different product or they can buy it from someone else, um, exactly, et cetera, et cetera. So in, in that instance... It, it's it's sort of justifying that you can't rely on price elasticity on its on its own because mm-hmm. it it you're just ignoring it, it doesn't matter what fancy price elasticity calculation you have the comp in 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 those products if it's competitor driven you've got to follow the market for those products regardless of what your p yeah with, within bounds yeah. right you've got to be in in the range I guess like you you can definitely there's room to play. And and because this is where, oh, what's my brand? You can then say, what's my brand value, right? So maybe I don't have to be as cheap as these other people on, on these products because my service offerings better, my my shipping's better, my fulfillment's better, right? Um, or you converse it, it's like, actually, this is just like a price-driven product and I have to be down there. And, and price elasticity lets you kind of test and, and see and understand that but it will be in a very small range, like usually five to 10% of the product price. Uh, it's not going to be 30, 40, 50% of the product price. Right. Um, and the other thing that floors it ob- obviously, which is worth talking about is just the base cost of the product. So, and the margin you need to make, and we talk about minimum prices a lot, but that also has a massive uh, part to play here because that effectively provides what's your competitors are providing the ceiling your minimum margin is effectively providing the floor because below that it doesn't really matter how much you're selling if your profitability is kind of dropped off a cliff right um so th- so this is why it is useful in e-com but it's um it is it's not the be all and end all as it is in maybe other markets so with that, is it is it useful in practice? And almost as we come to uh, a bit of a summary and conclusion here today's today's podcast, um, and I'm going to be positive now. I'm going to I'm going to give the give the positive twist is that that we've said why it should be used with caution. Um, but if it if you know 
the pitfalls of it, it can then start to be very powerful inside your organization. Um, and, and if I might pull some of the bits out that, that we've mentioned, you can you start to use it to identify, well, do I have brand power on this particular product? Cool, I have brand power versus my competition. I can therefore start to detach my thinking from price on these segments of products because that brand power means that I can achieve a higher price. And you wouldn't have necessarily known that unless you'd gone down the journey of calculating price elasticity. Conversely, if you're doing purchasing decisions, you can use price elasticity to, to, to check, well, what, what are pricing doing over here with the various price points? Oh, goodness me, they've changed the price, right? My calculation's telling me that we're gonna have some stock shortages in the future. I therefore, need to make some purchasing decisions because it's coming all the way from all the way from China but you don't use that in isolation because you can then overlay all of your other data points you know whether it be just as simple as market knowledge that you have that oh you know that actually in September the 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 purchase that 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 the demand for that product tails off so actually I don't need to I don't really need to purchase that product now so it's it's I hope what I'm 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 getting across is that that it's a very powerful data point, but is powerful when used in conjunction with the other data of, that you have available. You can't just use it in, in isolation, um, and you've got to be aware of the fact that, that am I selling enough? Have I had that? Have I, had a, have I changed the price enough? Um, and then you use it. So you can you, you use it as almost a signal to make a decision rather than, taking it as complete gospel because the theory doesn't capture the 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 theory assumes a perfect vacuum and and as we know so to make it to make a a physics joke it's the spherical object in the uh in the vacuum kind of thing i mean this is the this is the core of it really is that it's very powerful but you've Philip, you've made the mistake of asking a theoretical physicist about <laughs> how to apply the equation in practice. And the answer is, as always, look, you need to kind of be on top of your data, which, again, we always talk about here. It's the first thing we do if you, you sign up with us. And then um, you need to really understand your market, which is the second thing you do when you, when you sign up with us. So it's, it's much more about... Uh, we we've talked about kind of pricing maturity or, or where you are on that curve, but this is like, this is, this isn't, this is like level three or level four effectively. So if you haven't done the other stuff, the, and don't understand your kind of market structure and how you've set your business up in that marketplace, it's kind of, it's not worth doing, but if you have done that, it's incredibly powerful because it then allows you to segment your products. It tells you how your marketing's going, tells you where you can push for extra margin. It tells you where you have to be price, uh, price competitive. So there's a lot of positives in it. It's just that there's a lot of groundwork before, before you get there. And I think that's a great place to end really and I might encourage listeners if they haven't done already to go and um, check out our previous podcast around strategic pricing because 
that lays the foundations that you need to do from a pricing perspective and and if if, if you haven't you haven't done those you're not going to get much benefit from jumping straight into price elasticity because you're going to be going well what the hell's you're not going to know you're not going to know well hang on a minute is this because of the price elasticity equation or is this just because I've tripped over and actually unbeknownst to me I've done some competitor pricing you know so it's 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 you've got to you've got to work through the, the the pricing maturity curve get the basics right start making those more regular pricing changes work out what what's your competitive pricing strategy um, and then once you've done that then you can start to start to say, right, I feel like I've hit a glass ceiling here. What's what's next? How can I potentially eke out some um, some some more revenue or more profitability, depending on what your what your business objective is? But you should still not completely forget everything that's gone gone before and use price elasticity of the holy as the holy grail or consider it as the holy grail. You've got to use price elasticity as that added added indicator that added data point to challenge some of your previous um assumptions and hypothesis uh, 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 and, and and the e-commerce companies we work with probably the the, the bit that you can challenge your previous cons- mis- your previous conceptions on is do i need to follow the competition on this particular product or particular brand can my price elasticity calculation help me make a decision that's different to that that previous strategy? Um, and then you can test it. You can you can you can test those different data points. Hopefully, if you've got the ability to to maybe sacrifice some volume to do those tests, because sometimes you do have to have the price at uh, at price points that might mean you you don't you don't sell as much for a period of time. Um, and then you're going through that journey of does price elasticity work for me? Yes or no. Does price elasticity work for me on certain products or certain product groups or in certain markets? Yes or no. And it's all part of the wider pricing strategy. It's it's one element that you have in your arsenal. And, and if you use it in the right way, if you use it in, with caution, if you go into it with your eyes wide open, it can be it can be very powerful it's almost you know better better the devil you know that if you know if you know um if you know the foibles of it um you can you can work around those and um and get the best out of it so, so thank you uh, sorry i just want to jump in on on something you said there which i think we we've missed and is super important which is is around your pricing strategy and strategic pricing um so like that's what it says go back and listen to the previous episode but that's the first bit that you need to sort out and um i found quite an interesting quote on price elasticity by jeff bezos uh that highlights this and someone asked him do you do do price elasticity in your dynamic pricing um and he said yes we've done it it works but we've made a strategic decision to always be cheapest in the market because we're going up to market share so this this for me really nicely illustrates that actually your your what it is a useful piece but it shouldn't be your pricing strategy right your pricing strategy should dictate how little or how much you use this information because the core thing that drives your business and your pricing decisions should be your strategy your your overall business strategy and then Price elasticity the price elasticity data, competitor data, stock data, margin data, that all supports that. So I think that's a really important point that you flagged and one that really worth hammering home. 
And with that, thank you, Rob. We've been Black Curve. This has been E-Commerce Matters, the UK's leading e-commerce pricing podcast. Until next time, happy pricing.